0: chapter six of king and parliament by george henry wakeling this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela Nagami. the commonwealth sixteen forty nine to sixteen sixty during the next ten years england was practically without a constitution one strong man with a military force behind him gained the power and kept order amid ever-increasing difficulties cromwell aimed at a settlement which should establish peace toleration order and commerce but he failed to secure them more than temporarily even by the sword the reason is not far to seek as england then was the task was impossible it was a political chaos the nation was split into two hostile camps and these again into many sections and shades of religious and political opinion. A constable to keep the peace till the groundworks of law and order should be relayed was required. Cromwell achieved this, and no more, in spite of brilliant foreign policy and firm suppression of disorder. He never gained the heart of the nation. He would succumb to no party, and no party was willing to sink its own opinions in order to secure the benefits which he was able to confer upon the country he found and brought no unity the army and the rump as the sixty independent members who formed the remnant of the purged parliament were named were now supreme but this supremacy was not likely to produce a peaceful settlement the army leaders were not unwilling to work with the mutilated assembly but the agitators and their programme had still to be reckoned with. A scheme brought before Parliament on January 20th, entitled The Agreement of the People, explained their views in favour of a complete democracy. Frequent parliaments, truly representing the people, should carry out the national will. But the programme of these extremists was not adopted. After kingship and the House of Lords had been abolished, A council of state was appointed in February with authority from Parliament to carry on the entire government of the country. There was much talk of the responsibility of this council to Parliament, and of the future free and equal distributed representation of the people, but in talk it stopped. The discontent which the levelers thereon manifested was pitilessly crushed by Cromwell, and a rising of the more hot-headed spirits, Led to no result but the discredit of their cause. There was thus a provisional government with everything to settle. But for the present, the Republic had to make good its position against a threefold opposition. In Ireland, there had existed for eight years a formidable rebellion. If partly religious, for the Catholics of English blood were not given any toleration, it was still more national the Irish Romanists were demanding, as always, supremacy and separation from England. Hence came the failure of the loyal and high-hearted Ormond, to combine the elements of the rising into a royalist movement. In the autumn of 1649, Cromwell came over and sacked the towns of Drogheda and Wexford, massacring their garrisons with pitiless severity. His allegation was that slaughter after due warning would end opposition and so be merciful. The struggle speedily showed its true character to be one of race. The English Catholics deserted Ormond, and royalism was crushed. The subjugation of Ireland went on under Ireton. English colonists were introduced, and the natives driven behind the line of the Shannon. Cromwell was next called to Scotland, where more work awaited him after hamilton's defeat the extreme presbyterian party was in power but they had no wish to see england a republic with independency triumphant nor had they any sympathy with the execution of the king they still hoped to obtain from the prince of wales the concessions which they had failed to wring from his father at newcastle charles the second had been proclaimed in edinburgh on his father's execution but did not go to Scotland until after the failure of the Irish rising. He swallowed the covenant graciously enough, and the Scottish rising became a fact. In a skilful campaign which ended with the decisive victory of Dunbar, September 3, 1650, Cromwell stifled once more the hopes of Presbyterian royalism. But while he was further settling the country, a strong wave of royalism rose behind him hamilton and montrose had been executed as traitors to their country and the covenant but an army of their adherents marched into england with charles at their head in august of sixteen fifty one cromwell rapidly followed and at worcester his crowning mercy routed this force on september third prince charles escaped to france after a thousand adventures and the opposition in england was crushed only at sea did the royalist under prince rupert succeed in giving the navy of the young republic considerable work for royalist piracy with centres in scilly and the channel islands continued to menace the trade of the country for some time thus with a threefold victory at home the new government opened its career it was not long before foreign affairs called for action jealousy of dutch commercial enterprise led to the passing of the navigation act in sixteen fifty one this aimed at securing for english ships and english capital the lucrative carrying trade by which the dutch made large profits out of england's commerce henceforth no ship was to land goods in english ports unless she were english made and manned or belonged to the country whose products she was bringing over this was to apply the economic doctrine of protection to the creation of a merchant navy the dutch were naturally angry and a collision occurred between the english admiral blake and the celebrated von tromp which led to a declaration of war in july sixteen fifty two the english navy was ably organized and there was frequent and victorious fighting in the channel but in spite of this successful outset the new government was experiencing grave troubles at home the party of progress and reform in the army though balked of its dearest aims did not cease to advocate changes and the old feud between army and parliament was always threatening to break out cromwell and his council of officers were willing to see some reforms carried out while the rump did not hesitate to claim the full sovereignty of the unmutilated parliament it was not to be expected that such antagonistic principles would long work in harmony when in november sixteen fifty one the rump consented to dissolve itself but not till three years should have passed the army grew wondrous impatient the introduction in the spring of sixteen fifty three of a bill for making the rump a perpetual parliament with a veto on future elections brought matters to a crisis the officers were necessitated though with much reluctancy to put an end to this parliament every one knows how cromwell entered the house at the head of his musketeers forcibly evicted the recalcitrant members and bade his myrmidons remove that bauble the speaker's mace the army though as usual disclaiming any desire to interfere with civil affairs had once more interfered this was considered by the council of state a menace to all government and its members forthwith dissolved their body the lord general and his officers now stood alone and england was without a government the appointment of a fresh council of state in which the officers and their chief placed a large majority of their own body was only a temporary expedient To Cromwell, it seemed that England could be kept in order by the sword, aided by a few local and central officials who would continue to act as if Parliament were sitting. But there were many opponents watching Cromwell. The saints, as the extreme independents were called, were claiming to rule the earth. The true Republicans, who thought saints should be modest and wait till the kingdom was given them, were anxious for a settled free government by and for the people government by consent as they called it to neither of these views could cromwell subscribe his answer was complete where he asked shall we find the consent amongst the prelatical presbyterian independent anabaptist or levelling parties this is the key to his position a free parliament he would not allow for a free parliament meant royalty and the nation finally refused to take anything less For the moment, however, he thought it wise to allow the saints to try their hand. A body of nominees, mainly chosen by the independent ministers, was summoned to the number of 144. To them, Cromwell committed the affairs of the kingdom. They began to reform and abolish with vigour, and finally, in their zeal, threatened to upset the institution of private property by attacking tithes and patronage. Their assembly, which is known as Barebones Parliament, because one of its prominent members bore that extraordinary name, resigned its power in December 1653. The army leaders under Lambert now proposed to make Cromwell Lord Protector, with a council and a parliament in due form. The proposal was drawn up in the instrument of government. It was a new kind of constitution, for all the powers of protector and parliament were carefully defined and separated, no alteration in their respective powers being allowed. The liberty of the commons was preserved by its being made impossible for the protector to dissolve them till they should have sat five months. Here then was the barrier against party violence, and to this barrier Cromwell looked to save the kingdom. With a settled form of government, all might go well, and in foreign affairs the outlook was promising. The Dutch had been beaten and brought to terms, and now bowed before English commercial supremacy. Cromwell had allied himself closely with Sweden in order to keep open the Baltic trade against the monopolizing spirit of Danes and Dutch, and it was this alliance which had brought the latter to terms the test of the new government would be a parliament and this met in september of sixteen fifty four scotland and ireland were for the first time represented at westminster and a rational rearrangement of the constituencies foreshadowing in many points the famous reform bill of eighteen thirty two had been carried out but cromwell's plan met with little respect his opponents in the new parliament discussed the very foundation of the whole government in the hands of a single person and parliament. The protector thereupon declared that they were not to criticize any fundamental part of the new system, and turned out of parliament those who persisted in doing so. Yet the remainder proved so obstinate that a dissolution occurred after the legal five months stipulated in the instrument. The unpopularity in which this coup d'etat involved the protector caused the royalists to attempt a rising in Wiltshire under Penruddick it was easily suppressed, but the need of strengthening the royal authority in the country districts led to a new device. England was divided into eleven provinces, over which as many officers were placed. These major generals were to organize the local militia and to use it for police purposes. This temporarily abrogated the system of local government established by the Tudors. The institutions of the country were in abeyance, taxes were imposed illegally, and men were arbitrarily imprisoned. Republicans and independents complained of these pashas and their high-handed doings, yet much was done which made in the protector's favor. Men nominated to livings were carefully supervised by a board of triers. Jews were allowed to return to England for the first time since 1290. The legal system was reformed and simplified, yet discontent increased when a new parliament assembled in september sixteen fifty six foreign politics were for the moment in the ascendant the two great powers of france and spain were now face to face on the conclusion of the thirty years war each was anxious for the alliance of england cromwell chose france this secured the expulsion of prince charles from french soil and was more likely to satisfy growing protestantism than any dealings with spain philip iv was the champion of catholicism and moreover claimed a complete monopoly of the west indian trade english enterprise found vent in a successful attack on the rich isle of jamaica and war was declared against spain in february 1656 It was not long before France actively joined in the war, and Cromwell was able to secure from her the restoration of the Protestants of the Waldensian Valleys, whom the Duke of Savoy had been persecuting. Dunkirk was taken for England before the Protector's death. The new Parliament had been carefully packed. The instrument had given the Protector's Council the power to reject members who were considered disabled to be elected nearly one hundred republicans and presbyterians having been thus excluded the remainder proceeded to offer cromwell the title of king under a new documentary constitution this humble petition and advice gave more freedom and power to parliament though it still remained powerless to touch any of the fundamentals a house of peers was also to be created cromwell after much debate refused to take the kingship but accepted the rest of the new constitution. When Parliament met again in January 1658, the members before excluded were allowed to take their seats, as no power of scrutiny had been put in the hands of the government by the petition and advice. Their objection to the new constitution and to the other house, as they called Cromwell's peers, made it impossible for the protector to keep them in session without altering his views. He expected his Parliament to be loyal to a constitution which many of them had had no hand in framing. As this was impossible, he dissolved them. It was useless for him to beg for unity. In the face of the dangers which from time to time threatened the Republic, they would not listen. Thus he, who for years had kept England safe, prosperous, and respected, had settled nothing his death which occurred in september sixteen fifty eight left the problem of government to be faced by men infinitely less able than himself the late lord protector's rule had satisfied no party though it had curbed all and now the strife was going to break out again his son richard who succeeded by virtue of the provisions of the petition and advice was both by taste and education a mere country gentleman he had neither the power nor the wish to take up the task which lay before him, and his speedy fall made way for absolute anarchy. Cromwell had foreseen this, but when he had named the many parties whose existence made free government impossible, he had omitted to speak of one, the party which would restore the king in order to secure order and peace. On Richard's accession, the military officers under Lambert Fleetwood and others at once began to demand for the army a leader independent of the civil government. Oliver had been both general and protector, but Richard hardly knew a pike from a musket. To resist this movement, the new protector summoned a parliament, in which he had a majority against the Wallingford House Party, as the officers were named. His protectorate was recognized, and the army finding that they were outvoted in parliament demanded a dissolution. Richard, fearing an outbreak of civil war, took the only sensible course and abdicated on the 22nd of April, 1659. The party of Lambert, with whom the Republican foes of the Protectorate were allied, was now supreme. But it contained a strong leaven of levellers and other extremists. A fresh element of discord was added when its leaders resolved to restore the rump parliament which had been driven from Westminster by Oliver. The tottering fabric of the Republic now consisted of this caricature of a Parliament. It consisted of only forty members, a few self-seeking soldier leaders, and an army which was daily becoming more unpopular owing to its connection with the levelling programmes. The wildest discord was rife between the civil and military elements parliament claimed supremacy while the army fresh from lambert's victory over some royalists in cheshire did not care to conceal its claim to complete independence finally in october sixteen fifty nine relying on the adherence of monk who was commanding in scotland the rump took the daring step of depriving of their commissions lambert and those of his friends who had encouraged petitions in favour of the independence of the army the irate officers replied by driving the rump a second time from westminster george monk from his post beyond the tweed was grimly watching the dance at westminster nominally a presbyterian certainly loathing the whole race of sectaries and levellers he saw in lambert's triumph nothing but danger for the future when it was announced that he was preparing to march into england the very rumour of his opposition sufficed to overthrow the military government in london and while lambert marched northward to confront monk the rump returned uninvited to westminster the fleet held to the civil power the sailors petitioned for a free and full parliament and such leaders of the army as could be safely touched were banished monk started from scotland on new year's day 1660. In London, where he was at once completely master of affairs, he restored the Presbyterian members expelled by Colonel Pride twelve years before, and declared for a free Parliament. The Royalist Presbyterian members were now in a majority. Writs were issued for a free convention, and the long Parliament at last consented of its own free will to dissolve itself March 1660. THE NEW CONVENTION PARLIAMENT CONTAINED A LARGE MAJORITY FOR THE MODERATES. ON ALL SIDES WAS HEARD THE CRY FOR THE RESTORATION OF THE OLD ORDER. CHARLES WAS IN HOLLAND AND ISSUED FROM BREDA, AT MONK'S SUGGESTION, HIS FAMOUS DECLARATION. IT PROMISED AMNESTY, TOLERATION AND A GENERAL SETTLEMENT OF THE KINGDOM IN ACCORDANCE WITH THE DECISIONS OF PARLIAMENT. THIS WAS CONSIDERED SUFFICIENT. The more prudent Presbyterians wished for some clearer understanding with the Prince, but the nation would not wait. The reaction was in full flow. The first act of the Convention was to invite Charles to return, and to resolve that government in England was vested in King, Lords, and Commons. The Naseby, rechristened for the occasion the Royal Charles, brought the King to Dover, And he reached the capital on May twenty-ninth amid universal rejoicings. End of Chapter Six.